My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Do you believe everyone has a calling? I do. Not in a predestined, it's all mapped out type of way, but a passionate pursuit we're uniquely suited to fulfill. I also believe that pursuing that passion paves the way for a rich, wonderful, satisfying life and allows us to help better the world. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, where good girls go for sexual empowerment. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and if I sound a little intoxicated, it's because I just returned from Houston, where I attended Oprah's Live Your Best Life weekend. I also had the incredible honor of meeting Oprah in person. Anyone who's known me since I was about six knows what a tremendous dream come true that was for me and will always be for me. Uh, I also had the chance to meet and mingle with fabulous attendees and make some friends. Um, I explored O-Town, a pop-up Oprah-themed village. I was able to talk to O Magazine creative director Adam Glassman, who's wonderful, and thank him for featuring real women in his beauty campaigns. So awesome. And to absorb the compelling insight of renowned speakers, including Deepak Chopra, Elizabeth Gilbert, Rob Bell, and Yanla Venzant. I know. Can you tell I'm still trembling with joy? So I originally actually, going into the conference, thought I would meet somebody to interview today. I assumed that I would. And it's so funny because that thought didn't occur to me the entire time. I was so mesmerized and present and absorbing all of the wonderful, um, you know, talks and inspiration that was happening that it didn't occur to me until the plane ride home yesterday. And I thought, "Uh oh, I have a show tomorrow. And then I thought, wait a minute, Maybe it's just supposed to be me, and I feel I feel good about that now. So I hope I hope you all do too. Uh, so I'm going to start with a question that Oprah asked all of us: Is there something you always knew you just felt right doing? Something that deep down pulled you, called you? She also asked us how old we were when we first felt that little nudge. What was your first glimpse of who you thought you'd be when you were a kid? Oprah asked these questions and also shared her own first glimpse at who she knew she wouldn't be. It was a great story. As a child in Mississippi, she recalls standing on her grandmother's porch and she was churning butter. Her grandma was hanging laundry and told Oprah to pay attention because one day she would have to do the same thing. Oprah thought differently. <laughs> and she was very right. She has not had to do that. Uh, Maya Angelou attributes much of, um, or attributed, excuse me, Oprah's success to what she called her obedience to the call. I really love that. In other words, merely having a sense of a purpose in your life, a calling, doesn't ensure that it will come to be. We have to ask questions and stay attuned to that inner pull and take appropriate action. 
So I was in about kindergarten when I had my first real glimpse, and I vividly recall the teacher, Mrs. Webster, handing out crayons and asking us to draw what we wanted to be when we grew up. So I drew this girl with bright yellow ponytails and this big red heart in one hand and clutching a microphone in the other hand, which is kind of ironic. Uh, I wanted to talk and sing and help people, which sounded really not like a normal job to me when I when I came up with this. So I thought when we were going around the room, we had to share what we had drawn. I didn't realize I'd have to do that. So I lied and said, oh, that's a paintbrush. I'm going to be an artist. And I guess I was partly right. In the 30-ish years since, the crux of that dream hasn't changed. Even in my darkest times, bits of it seem to flicker, you know, prodding me to go on. And numerous times... That was against my will. I didn't even want to want to go on, if that makes any sense. But you know what? It took a heck of a lot of work before I could get there, but I finally was able to start igniting that flame. I'm guessing many of you out there can relate to that. All of Oprah's hand-picked trailblazers at the event, Deepak Chopra, Elizabeth Gilbert, Rob Bell, and Yama Vanzant, were phenomenal when they took the stage, as you can imagine. They were all so different. They brought you know, for everything from their presentation, the way they stepped onto the stage, the way they stood, the, the words they used, the way they dressed. But their messages shared such profound common threads. Um, to live your best life, essentially, you've got to trust it, trust that life. That's a huge takeaway for me, um, to realize how extraordinary you are and how extraordinary life is. It's also important not to let our egos or other factors get in the way and depop. Chopra did some great meditations on that uh, and, you know, ways to detoxify our lives, get rid of unhealthy habits, damaging relationships, steer clear of others' expectations. Just really try to find that, that silent space, that, that, that space between our thoughts and our feelings and, and the world. Um, Deepak said, we aren't human beings having a spiritual experience, but spiritual beings having a human experience. So profound. So Elizabeth Gilbert shared this wonderful story that many of you have probably heard um, parts of in her wonderful best-selling book, Eat, Pray, Love, illustrating that we can become the heroes of our own lives. She also illustrated the fact that this message is particularly important for women who haven't had the same historical examples along the way, but now we can do this. And she was just such an inspiration. Another common theme was that the times that we feel most broken are often our biggest blessings. What happens to us also happens for us, Oprah said. Listen to that again. Isn't that awesome? What happens to us also happens for us. I just love that and absolutely agree. Um, so I'd expected to come away with lots of different, you know, insight that would be inspiring and wonderful memories, and I certainly have, and I'd hoped for epiphanies, but one thing that really surprised me was where my thoughts went during many of the meditation and visualization exercises. As many of you know, especially if you've read my blog for a long time, I had a very severe eating disorder uh, when I was working as a model in Paris, and I was diagnosed with anorexia while I was there. Um, and, you know, I've I've healed from that. It's obviously still a big inspiration for me, but it's not something I walk around thinking about all the time. And yet over the weekend, as we closed our eyes and envisioned our lives and placed our hands over our hearts, 
I could remember these glimpses of that experience with this exceptional clarity that I haven't really had before. Um, I just found that so interesting. In fact, I actually expected, I don't know if you're supposed to expect what kind of epiphanies you're going to have, but I, you know, I had some visions or hopes, I suppose, of what I might take away from, from these experiences. And I was very surprised and just welcomed them. So I had absolutely no plans of, of sharing this story today until last night. But if there's one thing that the Life You Want weekend cemented in me, it is to honor the call to do whatever it is that we are compelled to do. Um, and let's just say that that phone was ringing really loud. So I've decided to share a story that began as a blog post that was pretty informal and just something I felt like I needed to put out there. And it has since evolved into a piece of a nonfiction book I'm working on. I call this chapter, Does Dirt Have Calories? The morning that nearly became my last started like any other during my stay in Paris. I awakened woozy, exhausted, and determined. Where logic would have told me to get some rest, nourish my body, and tend to the day's work responsibilities, the voice blaring inside me commanded, I wake up and run. Breakfast and the castings, agency meetings, and photo shoots I'd once been passionate about would have to wait. My sole priority was the upkeep of my disease. I slipped my feet into my worn-out, blood-stained sneakers, stepped out of my tiny flat, and headed toward the Seine. The Eiffel Tower came into full view over the pastel haze of the sunrise, a living, breathing Monet. Its beauty could have taken a blind man's breath away, I wrote in my journal. I didn't deserve it. The dewy earth swished beneath my feet as I ran to the rhythm of calorie counting. 45 plus 6 plus 10 plus 6 plus 5 plus 3. I estimated the previous day's damage, then plotted an itinerary of exercise and occasional food bits to compensate. So accustomed to ignoring the dizziness and fatigue accompanying me, anything else would have felt foreign. But this time was different. Pushing aside the sense of offness in my gut, I observed the dip in the ground ahead. It looks like an adult-sized cradle, I thought. Perhaps I knew what was coming. I ran with increasing dizziness and pain, as though a metal clamp squeezed my brain and fog saturated my lungs. Run. Don't stop. You can't. Tears stung at my eyes as I tried to outrun the inevitable, step after step toward the cradle. A force surged within me, like a stranger stalking me from the inside. I felt a flutter in my chest, heard myself gasp, Black flecks speckled my vision. Dizzy, so dizzy, just keep going. I tried to take another step, but my entire body gave. Crumpling, I fell to the ground as though in slow motion. And for a brief, savory moment, I felt weightless. I awoke later, lying in the grassy cradle, the taste of blood and dirt in my mouth. Rather than contemplate how long I had been there or if I'd been hurt, one thought filled me with terror. Does dirt have calories? The thought lingered as I slipped in and out of consciousness, occasionally overshadowed by rational notions. Am I dying? Calories. Is this death? I'm such a mess. My family. An image of my parents and siblings flashed in my brain, filling me with guilt. If I died, I feared they would never forgive themselves. It's not your fault, I whispered. My whispers screaming in my thoughts might reach them. I love you guys. You have to know that. My longing seemed 
My longing to see them one last time nearly matched my caloric fears, but not quite. Angry, I tried to spit the dirt out, but my brain and body seemed no longer connected. Listen to me, you piece of shit. Me versus my body, the ongoing war had reached its peak. My heart fluttered again, this time harder, a wild flap. Then a warm... Then a warmth filled my chest. It spilled down through my body, reaching my toes. I felt as though I was glowing, radiating a sparkly firefly light. Stand up, I instructed myself. Try. But nothing budged. Even if I could stand and walk away, what would be the point? I prodded myself to let go, to simply drift off to sleep and ignore what was happening. Let go of everything, of life. But for reasons I couldn't explain, something inside me said, carry on. The light, seeming now to emanate from my chest, remained as I lay in an odd mix of fear and self-preservation. Fatness, calories, the mess of me. Keep going, there's a reason, hang on. My hope, while involuntary, seemed as immovable as my formerly voluntary limbs. I longed for answers, the whys behind my aspirations, yelling angry prayers at God with my thoughts. Give me something to fight for, why is this happening to me? I don't recall who found me or how I made it to the medical center, only the words of the British doctor. You have anorexia. Do you understand what that means? You could have died. You could die. Her words blurred together like fog on a windshield as my thoughts went wild. She's crazy. I can't have anorexia. Please don't make me eat. I felt neither thin nor skilled enough to have a disorder characterized by starvation. Sure, I had problems, the cancer in my soul I had journaled about. I felt physically and emotionally rotted and weak, but couldn't make sense of anything. I only knew I had to go home. Back in Minnesota, it took me months of introspection and therapy to accept my diagnosis. Once I did, I fought harder to uphold it. Anorexia seemed like the one special thing about me. Without it, what would I have left? For once, my depression proved helpful, a blessing in dark disguise. Desperate to feel found and fulfilled instead of lost and floundering in a calorie-obsessed darkness I called hell, I gradually began taking much-needed steps towards self-care. The problem was, I didn't actually care, not enough to love or nurture myself purely for the sake of doing so. The steps were mandatory if I ever hoped to feel joy again and risking my life and even more misery the only alternatives. While the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel seemed mythical most days, I forged on, living in a perpetual state of shame and anxiety, seeing numbers and failure instead of food on meal plates, and fatness in every inch of me, praying that someday I wouldn't have to try so hard. That's one of the toughest aspects of eating disorders. The sufferer can only look healthy on the outside while she struggles more than ever within. Like many eating disorder treatment programs, much of the dietary care focused on my weight and calories, only rather than my previous restriction, the goal was healthy gains. I understand where these strategies derive from. Without healthy nutrient and weight increases, people with anorexia die. But maintaining such intense focus on the very elements of one's life that controlled her, yet with an even more daunting outcome weight gain, seems contradictory to me. Numerous people, including treatment professionals, told me I would always struggle with my illness, that my goal would be a state of perpetual recovery. That was not good enough for me. When one of my worst nightmares came true, however, I feared they were right. In a moment of despair, I gave in to my longing for a single bite of chocolate ice cream. 
As I placed the dollop of cold, creamy sweetness into my mouth, my entire body trembled. I felt intoxicated, a sense of danger, head-to-toe orgasm, and temporary relief. But one bite turned into two, then six, then all that remained of the half-gallon. The fatty cream sat like a putrid rock in my shrunken stomach. I had never felt so ashamed. The binging, starving roller coaster that followed was the most excruciating and important occurrences in my recovery. At its worst, I entered what my therapist called a bulimic trance. The binging took over, and I had little awareness of all I had consumed until I found myself sobbing amid wrappers and crumbs. As my weight increased, friends and family told me how healthy I looked. You're filling out so nicely. The well-intended comment would haunt me for months. Desperate to stop binging, I decided to take my treatment more seriously. I will do anything to stop this, I told my therapist. Good, she said. It starts with eating. After you binge, don't skip your next meal. Anything but that, I thought. I resisted her instructions, holding staunchly to the belief that if I were just strong enough, I could attain the thinness I desired and stop binging all at once. It sounded utopian. Meanwhile... I mourned the loss of my anorexia like a long-lost soulmate. One night, after a fast ended in a gargantuan binge, I hit a new bottom. I considered gulping the poison I'd used to occasionally vomit, aware of the life-threatening risks. I didn't want to die, but I couldn't bear life as I knew it. In a fury, I scavenged the house for the tiny bottle. When I couldn't find it, my heart raced and I struggled to breathe. Then something remarkable happened. Incapable of purging in any of my viable methods, I calmed down. That calmness paired with tired frustration and an inability to foresee life continuing as hell brought clarity. Try something new. You have to. I walked with trepidation to my wall mirror, as though nearing a fatal cliff. For the first time in too long, I looked not at my hips, belly, or thighs, but into my eyes. The head-on stare punctured the swollen balloon of hurt inside me, releasing sobs. You can't live like this anymore, I told my, ref my reflection. I won't let you hate yourself so much. This is not who you are. I didn't know what I was fighting for, but my instinct said, don't give up. My anger at Ed and proclamations in the mirror were the first signs of self-love I had displayed in years, the light switch in the dark cave in which I lived. If I managed to turn it on, I knew my life would change. So rather than plot restriction strategies for the coming days as usual, I began plotting a future free of Ed. The night became a good riddance Ed rampage. I threw my skinny clothes and scale in the dumpster and removed the size tags from clothes that fit. I trashed every fashion magazine, food journal, and diet book, sang my feelings into made-up songs. I vowed to myself that for one year I would not diet, starve, or make any other attempts at weight loss. If I gained weight during that year, so be it. The next morning, with trembling hands and tears flooding my cheeks, I ate breakfast, forcing thoughts of, I love you, you deserve this, you're going to be okay with every bite. Determined to manifest joy around food and eating, I began studying food with a velocity I'd only previously applied to treadmills. I wanted to discover its goodness and stop dreaming up ways to avoid it. What did particular foods do for me? If not for managing weight, why did people eat them? 
how could I eat healthfully and not by diet book standards of what that was? I began addressing a self-compiled I'm afraid of list. Eat in public, eat at a restaurant alone. Eat a meal prepared by others without demanding particulars. Eat the ice cream that triggered my first binge, one serving at a time. I traded my diet books for medical and dietetic texts that defined food as fuel, a necessary means of nutrients, and obtained my first of many certifications in nutrition. I cooked, experimented with foods I'd never tried, and volunteered at soup kitchens. I stopped aiming for dietary perfection. Multiple studies had convinced me that this increased my risk for binging, obesity, anxiety, depression, and sleep problems, pretty much everything on my no-thank-you list. It took numerous attempts of arriving at an upscale restaurant alone before I dined there, and several more before I enjoyed the food without heavy sweating or heart palpitations. I wept over a homemade candlelit dinner for one, served on my grandmother's china. I stocked my kitchen with food until it felt warm, loved, and lived in. Rather than cold and frightening, it felt like home. I took a Buddhist philosophy course and applied its principles to my meals. Eating slowly and without distraction soon went from mortifying to pacifying. On difficult days, I asked myself what I'd feed a dear friend, then treated myself to just that. Until gradually, finally, I became her. My story didn't end there, thank goodness. <laughs> Not nearly. Uh, and in many ways, I feel it's still beginning. This weekend reminded me that while our past doesn't equal our future, it does influence it profoundly. It's up to us just how. While I've fully recovered from my eating disorder, or as Ian LaVanzant would say, if it's in the past, you have passed. It's a beautiful part of my history because of what I can do with my recovery moving forward. I have this show, my writing, upcoming projects I cannot wait to tell you about, some that just came up over the weekend, and dreams I have yet to conjure. That's what moving from surviving to thriving can do. We all have stories, trials we've endured, victories we've cultivated, challenges and obstacles that have felt like failures. Here's what I love about life. It's this quote that I don't know who originally said it. It's usually just attributed to unknown. At any given moment, you have the power to say, this is not how the story is going to end. I believe that. And I'd add, we also have the power to say, this is my new page, my new chapter, my new direction, my new paragraph, my new sentence. At any single moment, we can say, we want something better. Choose your own adventure. As Oprah said, the universe speaks to us always, first in whispers, Pay attention to the whispers. Here's something that I've learned. The inner nudges that fill you with butterflies or even intense fear, even panic, may well be the most important ones to embrace. Simple awareness and baby steps forward or bold leaps, whatever you are willing and inclined to do, they work like magic. It won't all be easy. It's never always easy, and some will be damn tough, but it's always worth it if you really, really listen to what your heart's saying. I believe that. I would love to hear what you think about your own calling, the turning points in your life. What have you felt called to do or become? What have you learned from difficult times? Or if you're in the middle of them, please don't give up. If you carry on rewards you can't even imagine will show up for you in all kinds of ways. I've witnessed and heard so many examples lately. 
To learn more about my fabulous weekend and how I ended up meeting Oprah, which was such a gift, stay tuned to my blog this week where I'll be posting more. I hope you'll also join me uh, and the whole Girl Boner community online. We're active on Facebook and Twitter. Links and more are available at my website, augustmclaughlin.com. I can't thank everyone enough for the wonderful time at Oprah's Live Your Best Life weekend for making it a, such a spectacular experience. Um, all of you listeners, please make sure to watch Super Soul Sunday on the OWN Network for a mega dose of inspiration. It is such an incredible series. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and review, and hop over to my website, augustmclaughlin.com for show extras and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.